Good morning, church family. My name is Nathan, the assistant pastor of community and care in our church family. And it's good to be with you and looking at God's word, continuing in our Ephesians series. So let's pray together before we do that. Heavenly Father, would you make known these mysteries to us? Would you unlock them for us by your spirit? We know that we have to be given insight to understand the riches of your grace to us in Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Did you know that there are 14 punctuation marks in the English language? Maybe you can try to name them on the way home, kids in the car. Get your period, exclamation point question mark, colon, semicolon, how many can you name? And then you've got the dash. Sometimes the dash is overlooked, but did you know it is Rob Yancey's favorite punctuation mark? I love it. It's true. And it was great. We even had one in our confession today. There are two dashes commonly. You've got the N dash and the M dash. Okay. And we call them that because the dash is about the, the size of the letter. Did you know? All right, the M dash, okay? And the New York Times had a great article, for all you grammarians at least, about how the M dash is so divisive amongst writers and editors. Don't even get me started on the Oxford comma, okay? All right, but here's what they had to say. Sometimes it initiates an afterthought. Other times it's a fist bump. You might call it the bad boy or cool girl of punctuation. A rebel without a clause. Ah, yeah. Now, some of you might be thinking, there's not even an M dash on our keyboard, right? You got to press the dash twice and then press enter. Hope, hope it auto corrects. I'm just kidding. I know that that's not what most of you are thinking. Most of you are thinking, what? Am I in the right place? This is not an English lesson. This is a sermon. The point is, punctuation can be important. And even in the earliest Greek manuscripts, we have punctuation marks. This is one of them, believe it or not. And one of, uh, one of my Greek professors said, it is almost always normally important and a good reason for a punctuation to be there. Okay. So this is important for us to, to see by now, hopefully you, you know what I'm referring to. Look at verse one, where we see this M dash for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So for this reason, for breaking down this text, refers back to the last chapter, the last two sermons that we've preached, how Christ uni unified a diverse people and he has reconciled us both with God vertically and also with one another horizontally. And then it's like he completely loses track of what he was going to say. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner, Christ, for you Gentiles, and he loses track. Uh, some have called this section of scripture his digression or Paul's detour. And thankfully, if you're curious what he was about to say, stick around, come back next week. Verse 14 does seem to pick up his original thought where he continues again for this reason and then prays. But the cool thing about this, the way we understand the infallibility of the Bible is that God inspired Paul's run-on sentences and his rabbit trails. 
So these verses, verses 2 through 13 especially, are as important as the verses that come before them and the ones that come after them. And you only have to ask our communicants uh, some questions about this as they learned over this last year about Scripture and how God used unique individuals with their own gifts and talents and weaknesses and failures to write down and record his revelation. It's an amazing thing, but we won't go down that road right now. At the end of Paul's detour, we get at least a sense of why he feels like he has to say this, why he's going on his digression. So I hate doing this. My dad used to do this growing up and it annoyed me. He would read the first chapter and the last chapter of, of books to understand kind of what was coming. But due to our, the brief time that we have, it is helpful for us to understand and get a sense of, of what Paul is intending here. So if you look at verse 13 at the end of our passage, Paul gives us the reason why he goes on this little rabbit trail. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to lose heart because of what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So the point is, Paul is trying to teach the church in Ephesus. Everything that he's about to say is to help them understand why he was willing to suffer even die. He is going to help us understand this suffering for him, why it mattered, but also maybe to help us as well make sense of our suffering too. So the main point we're trying to understand today is why Paul was willing to suffer and his understanding of the mystery of this gospel. Because when we can do those two things, then we realize that this gospel is worth suffering even dying for. So today we're going to consider three things about the mystery of the gospel. First, why do we need it? Second, what is it? And the third thing, what difference does it make? So first, why do we need it? Let's jump back in our story and look at verse one, where we see everything is going according to God's plan. Paul is a prisoner. And we know from reading our Bible, Acts 15 or Acts 21, rather, if you're with us in our Acts series, Romans 15, that this is not the first time that Paul is in prison and it won't be his last as well. But God is working his plan of salvation that he has initiated before the foundation of the world and Paul finds himself in prison in this grand plan. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty horrible plan to me. And Paul must have sensed that as well when he's writing to the church in Ephesus because assuming what they think, he responds to help encourage them. And so we can't fault the Ephesians here and their assumptions at Paul being a prisoner. John the Baptist himself, Jesus' cousin, when he was in prison, uh, wrote to Jesus in Luke 7, we hear it recorded, when he says to him, are you the one that we've been looking for? Or should we keep looking? Point is, whether you would call yourself a Christian here today or not, suffering just doesn't make sense to us. Suffering doesn't make sense. But Paul says it's universal. And if you're here today and maybe thinking, that doesn't apply to me. I, I haven't really had that type of suffering in my life. I remember sitting in sermons and hearing about suffering and being like, yeah, my life is pretty good until 15, you know, 16 months ago for many of us. Not just COVID, but other personal things going on. The point is, if you aren't feeling 
that you're in that place of suffering today, look around you because there are people around you who are. And the point is, you may soon be too. That's not to scare you, but to prepare you for what comes because Paul is, is clear that suffering is universal. So if we look back at the end of verse one, we see that Paul is a prisoner of what? Does it say he's a prisoner of Rome? They certainly were the ones who threw him in prison, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's God who is ordaining the events of his life. And he must have sensed that this was challenging. So as he, we imagine, is sort of dictating this letter to his secretary, he pauses, he digresses, and we get this, this beautiful section of scripture. Paul wants to encourage us. And we can understand why we would be discouraged. You know, how do we ask this question? Why would a good God cause his children to suffer, to be imprisoned? That's a great question to ask. And Paul, the answer that he gives is that without it, without this suffering, without the mystery of the gospel, then this story would be incomplete. Without this, the story would be incomplete. Nobody would have gotten it. Like a good mystery writer, God had been placing hints throughout the Old Testament of how he would redeem his people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. The fact that Jesus' genealogy includes Rahab and Ruth, this was all pointing to the inclusion of the Gentiles and the Jews into this covenant promise. This mystery is not new. God's saving grace, saving sinners through faith, is as old as the story. But the how God would redeem his people was hidden from them. It was like a seed that was planted and continued to grow until the fullness of time when Jesus was revealed as the how. And Paul, we're told, has unique insight with the, the prophets and the apostles. He has given apostolic authority to hear this revelation, the Messiah being revealed. The point is that without the cross, without Jesus coming into history, this story would be incomplete and there would be no redemption or salvation for Jew or for Gentile. You only have to think when you look back at the Bible, how, how much do we learn from the sufferings of God's people before? How much can we learn about the hardships that the Israelites faced as they were wandering in the desert. The wilderness wanderings, which for, for many of us, this last 16 months has felt similar to that. I've been going back to, to Exodus to understand what God was doing at work in his people. It helps us understand a little bit more our current circumstances. So how can we think through our, even our own lives and our own circumstances? I'll, I'll just give an example from, from my own life. Many of you know my brother passed away from cancer uh, last June. But if it weren't for Philip's suffering, then I would have less compassion today for those who are going through deep sorrow themselves. 
our family wouldn't understand forgiveness as deeply as it does. You know, I wouldn't understand strength and resilience in the same way when my brother, after he had half of his pelvis amputated, just a few hours later walked out in a walker to come get me from the waiting room. My brother, one of his, his aims in life was that his best friend, childhood best friend, would come to know Christ. That story is still being written. The point is, how can we think about, reflect on, and respond to the suffering in our life? Because how we do that, there, there's really only two ways. We can respond through strengthening our faith. Suffering will strengthen your faith or it will crush you. So how are you responding? Or how are we responding? Um, trust me, there's been plenty of ways, uh, according to my counselor, uh, that I have dealed with this grief suboptimally, he said. Um, so I'm not the expert here. I've not always coped well with my feelings of grief. This sermon is for me. I'm on a journey trying to get to where Paul is so that he would be able to say in verse 13 at the end, my suffering is for your glory. And friends, that's true in this church family as well. Our sufferings are for each other's glory. For Paul, and dare I say for all Christians, suffering, weakness is his superpower. It's his strength because it's how God delivered his son for our benefit and salvation through suffering. Jesus' suffering is what enabled Paul to be able to have courage and endure when difficulties came his way, when he found himself in prison. And so it enabled him to suffer so that he could bring this gospel, this good news to the Gentiles. And it sounds foolish to the world that God would choose to reveal himself in this way. But this is God's plan, how he has redeemed the world. Paul can only say this because this mystery has been revealed to him. It's been given to him by the Spirit. And so we have to ask the Spirit's power to help us understand how suffering and this mystery go together. Because the truth is, sometimes life doesn't make sense. The divisions that exist that we see in the world around us, they don't make sense to us. Our suffering doesn't make sense. What we experience, the suffering that we cause in others' lives, and sometimes that we self-inflict in our own lives as well. But our suffering is not for nothing. It's for our glory so that the radiance and the splendor, the brightness of Christ might be seen in our lives. That's the point of this suffering and the mystery is that Christ might be magnified in our weakness, in our suffering. We've been talking around it a little bit, but let's define a little bit more clearly what is the mystery of Christ here that Paul is talking about. So the second point, what is it? Paul tells us very plainly in verse six, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this is radical to the original audience and to the Jews as well, that 
we are now united as co-heirs in this family through the gospel. We're united because of Christ's suffering on the cross. And we can only understand this. It can only make sense to us when it's given to us. Paul makes this clear in verses 2, 7, and 8 when he says that this grace was given to him. And he tells us why this grace was given to him as well. He helps us understand a little behind the scenes what his purpose was. We see his purpose in verses 8 and 9. If you're an underliner, underline uh, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. Isn't that amazing? This grace, the, the purpose of this gospel revealed to Christ was that Paul would be a minister to preach to the nations. And I want to be clear here. This is not just professional ministry, okay? This is for all of us. The, the word that's translated here is servant. And to preach is the word evangelize. And Christians, we're all called to do this, whether vocationally you are a pastor, we're called to preach to the nations, to bring to light this plan that has been revealed in Christ Jesus. The point is God uses simple saints like Paul, who says in this passage, he's the least of us all. The point is, if God can use Paul, a persecutor of Christ, to preach the, this gospel to the Gentiles, then he can use you and me as well to do the same. How do I know that this is God's plan to accomplish his works in the world? How do I know this applies to all of us? Well, we only have to look one verse later in verse 10. The means that God uses to accomplish his plan in the world is through the church. Through the church. Let me read that again. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate Christ's bride. I love this verse. In some ways, it makes sense to us. In other ways, it is crazy. So we can make sense of the fact that we're called to preach and magnify Christ to the world around us. But Paul is saying, not just do we have an earthly witness. Christians, we're called to testify to angels and demons about God's promise. That's what this means here, the, the heavenly places. And we, we get a little bit of understanding uh, in Peter. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, that even the angels long to, to lean in, to see what God is up to in and through the church. His plan of salvation and his plan to proclaim, to shine the light, to bring the light on this plan is through us, through the church. What an amazing digression we say. The mystery of Christ is the great equalizer that Jew and Gentile would be at the foot of the cross together. So third question we ask is what difference does it make? Understanding suffering, understanding this mystery, how does it help us understand 
the eternal purposes realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does it actually do for us? And it gets back to where we began in many ways because the point in verse 12 that we see is that in Christ, we now have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. So this God, the God of the universe and of time, he made a way. He made access for us to be in relationship with him, that we might be co-heirs of these promises so that we might have confidence in him so that we don't have to be afraid. The King David puts it well in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you see Paul's logic? The logic of of all of the writers of scripture is don't lose heart at our sufferings. Don't lose heart at my imprisonment, Paul says, because God is at work in my story. And I know that he's at work in your story as well to bring about his purposes so that we all might be stewards of God's grace. We're all called to steward this gift so that we might be ministers of reconciliation with those around us. Those are the real implications of this passage and Paul's words for our lives. This gospel that that breaks down division, radical division between Jew and Gentile, centuries and millennia of hatred and warfare, and it completely shreds that division. Because the gospel says to both groups, you are a sinner. God has rightly condemned us. And yet we too were raised up with God because he rose from the grave on the third day and raises us up in him. We see how he saved us even though we were dead in our sin in chapter two that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And that profoundly equalizes us all, Jew and Gentile. And that was Paul's apostolic task, right? That's not that I know of any of our calling to bridge the Jew-Gentile divide. But it's great to see how Paul bridges that divide. And we too have divisions that God is calling us to bridge and to reconcile. So what are those divisions? Where are those places in our lives where God would have us be reconcilers like this? And how would we go about bridging those divisions? Well, Paul gives us an example in his life. Elsewhere, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we're called to follow Paul how? In weakness and suffering. That's the power of Paul's message, is his weakness. That's his superpower. Paul expresses this beautifully in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we hear that, it's important for us to, to be ready because, Christian, we will be hurt. We will be insulted on behalf of the gospel. But our prayer is in light of these calamities that we would be able to say, like Paul, it was worth it. Or to our brothers and sisters, you were worth it. Because that's the way of the cross. That's why we call it a mystery. It's so counterintuitive, it doesn't make sense to us that we would be strong in our weakness until we see Jesus, who displayed this strength through his suffering and dying on the cross, where he bore the full wrath of God on our behalf for people who were his enemies, who hated him. Jesus sacrificed himself to bridge that great divide of sin and holiness so that we could, when God looks at us, see not our sin, but Jesus's righteousness. And when Paul understood this mystery and the implications for it, and he knew that he was willing to sacrifice himself and to suffer in this way as well. When we understand why Paul was willing to suffer, and when we understand what call Paul's, the, Paul calls the mystery of the gospel, then we realize that this mystery of grace is worth suffering and worth dying for. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for making us stewards of this amazing grace, for revealing this mystery to us by your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that these moments Paul's suffering, the suffering of those around us would be encouragements to us, that, that they would give us confidence because we understand more of, of who you are and how you suffered on our behalf to give access to the unsearchable riches of Jesus. We thank you for this grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.